Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you again. Welcome back to church. Isn't it great to be in church today? Man, this world we're living in is getting a little crazy. I've never seen in my, in my life division in our nation like I'm seeing it right now. Uh, what's happening today makes the 60s and 70s look like a cakewalk. But division is coming. And so let me tell you where your pastor stands on a few things. You want to wear a mask? You don't want to wear a mask. You want to get vaxxed? You don't want to get vaxxed. That's your choice. This is America. You have the Constitution and the freedom to do either. And God bless you doing it. We're not going to tell you to do one or the other. That's your choice. You're big folks. I know you'll make the right decision. But within the body of believers here, we're going to love each other no matter what choice you make. Because this is uh, the world that Satan has, has created. We're not going to be divided by it. We're going to stand in unity here and love each other. I don't care if you're from Washington, Oregon, California, Idaho. I agree with Paul. No matter what state I'm in, I've learned to be content. <laughs> but I will tell you something else. The doors of this church will remain open, period. <clears throat> With that said, let's close in prayer. No. <laughs> no, we're not going to close in prayer. What are you thinking? <laughs> Somebody said, all right, we're going to make it to the front of the food line at lunch, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we are in the study that we're calling Jesus is Enough, and it's a verse-by-verse study of the book of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians there. Most secular scholars have finally agreed with the overwhelming evidence that Jesus is, in fact, a historical person who lived just about the time of uh, 3 AD, depending on, um, you know, there's, there's room there between 2 and 4 uh, BC, Christ was born, AD. Many applaud his teachings on love and mercy and grace. Nowadays, they actually do believe that he was a historical figure when for many centuries we've been celebrating his life and death uh, in history. Uh, Of course, uh, we mark time with his life and death, B.C., before Christ, uh, A.D., after death. And these uh, people no longer deny his life uh, or his existence. They simply want to dethrone him from being God. They will admit that he did live. There's too much evidence. You'd have to be a fool to deny that Jesus Christ didn't walk the earth. Um, They just want to dethrone him, though. They would offer Jesus prominence, but not preeminence. A good man, but not the God man. A knot of their, their head, but not a crown on his. Many false teachers would say that Jesus is a way to God, but not the only way. And by the way, I heard this week that uh, atheism was the first nonprofit organization. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I mean, 
<laughs> it's sad, but true. In our uh, text today, and we're going to be in, in, um, in Colossians, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, we've, only, we've been in here a month, and we've only made it to the ninth verse, but we've learned a lot, amen? We're going to keep going. In our text today, Paul makes the most powerful doctrinal argument for the supremacy of Christ that is found in the entire Bible. This is where I go to talk about Christ and his, his power, his deity, the fact that he is God's son. Last week, Paul, in his opening prayer, he told us to seek the wisdom that comes from God, to walk worthy in it, to please him by how we choose to live our lives, and spoke of how God has provided an inheritance for, uh, through himself to all who would believe and trust in him. And that those of us who are beneficiaries of this free gift ought to be, in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin." Now, you know, you, I could do a whole, uh, you know, semester of teaching just on that. So let me pull just a few of the things out today to show you that Jesus is enough and exhort you of the supremacy of Christ. Today I want to look at some of the reasons why Jesus is supreme. We'll, uh, we're only going to look at one of them today. And then next week, we'll, we'll start unpacking these as the weeks go by of why Jesus is enough. Why is he supreme? Well, here's reason number one. Jesus is the only Savior of the world. He's it. Why is Jesus the only Savior of the world? Well, letter A in your notes, if you take notes, and I encourage you to do so, and you can flip your bulletin over and fill these out. <clears throat> you may want to go back to them later on. Letter A, Jesus delivered us from Satan to God. We could not deliver ourselves. Jesus did that. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Who has the power over darkness? Satan does. In darkness, we were slaves to sin and slaves to Satan, blinded by the darkness of both. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's right. From the disciples to, to the Pope, from Billy Graham to Gandhi, yes, from you to me, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've we're all, we've all violated God's glory. Well, you might say, so what? Big deal. So what if I've sinned? Why do I need a Savior? Well, God said in Romans 6.23 that the wages of those sin is death. There's a death sentence upon each and every one of us at some point in our lives. We began life under a sentence of death. When you and I die, we go to eternal life. Our bodies remain in the grave, but our spirits, the essence of who we are, go into an eternal state of being in one of two places. Either you have received a full pardon 
by accepting God's forgiveness by way of receiving Jesus' payment in full for your sin when he died on the cross, where you'll spend eternity with God in heaven with your forever family, or you will have rejected God's offer of full pardon, opting to be judged on your own merits for the actions that you carried out in life and spend eternity in a place called hell. That decision that decides between the two eternal realities is made during this lifetime. The gift is on the table. The gift of God is eternal life, Paul said. But that gift disappears once you die. If you don't accept that and take it and make it yours, then the gift disappears after you die. Your decision or your lack of a decision puts you in a place you don't want to be. For many of us in this room, the decision's been made. We've chosen to believe in Jesus for salvation and to accept the gracious offering of forgiveness of our sins and to bypass God's judgment in favor of his love. Now, when you and I die, like I said, there's two places, there's only two, that we can end up. One is in hell and one is to go to heaven. If you've accepted his forgiveness and gotten right with God, then you're going to go to heaven and you're going to spend eternity with him, with his son, Jesus Christ, and with the saints and angels. And at death, and when I was a kid, I was told I would have to stand in line and wait to find out. We're going to be all be judged. We're all going to, into judgment. And that scared me because what I wanted was a surety before I left this earth. So let me tell you, at death, if you've made the decision to accept Jesus Christ and follow him, you bypass the courtroom. You ain't going in there. The courtroom is, or is for those that opted to be judged by their own merit, where only one sin will keep you out of heaven and send you to hell. I don't know about you, but I've committed at least one sin <laughs> on my way to church this morning. <laughs> um, that's why I tell people it's too dangerous to leave this building without Jesus Christ, without knowing where you're going. It's too dangerous because none of us know when our life will end, and it could be abruptly, and then the gift is off the table at that moment. Why is Jesus the only Savior of the world? Letter A, Jesus delivered us from Satan to God. And here's letter B, Jesus transferred us from darkness into light. Verse 13. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He's conveyed us. Once we were enslaved to the kingdom of darkness and under judgment by our own lusts and sin nature, we've all sinned and fallen short. By now, but now God, through Jesus Death and resurrection has made it possible for us to be conveyed or transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. The Greek word here for conveyed also means to be rescued from or to be rescued or transferred to a place of safety. 
where once we were in jeopardy of eternal death and damnation, now Jesus Christ offered us a way to be conveyed, to be, to be transferred to this place of safety, which is called salvation in Jesus Christ. Mankind's greatest problem in life is sin and spiritual death, a place that is anything but safe. So our greatest need is for a supreme Savior, Jesus Christ, and his offer to convey us into the security and trust of his loving arms. Salvation and safety are only found in him and their free gifts. Every other man-made religion demands that mankind do something in order to appease or compel God to save them. Every other one. Let me give you just a few uh, examples here. In Islam, you must practice and keep the five pillars of Islam. And after death, you discover if Allah has accepted you or not. The five pillars are fasting, pilgrimage, giving of alms, praying five times a day, and confessing Muhammad as prophet over and over. And then when you get into the realm where Allah is, he decides whether you did that correctly or enough. In Judaism, you must keep the law Again, you only know if you've pleased God and, uh, you know, until after you die. I always thought it was the Old Testament is what they believed, and, and certainly they do largely. But their, uh, their view of eternal life is different. Many of the Jews today over there don't believe there is an eternal life. They believe that you die and just disappear forever. Many do believe that there is a life after death. But it surrounds man trying to do something in order to gain God's approval. In Buddhism, you must reach a state of unconsciousness in order to reach a heaven-like experience. Uh, one must rid themselves of all earthly desires. That's what Buddhism teaches, that you're to divest yourself of anything on this planet and to reach an, a state of unconsciousness would be perfect, they say. Man-made religion says do, but God says done. He's already done it. He's taken care of it. We couldn't do anything. We were lost. We were dead in our sins. In God's word, we're told that it's a free gift from him to us. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. But we can also know right now if we have it. The one true God has made a way for us to be transferred from death into darkness and, and from life into light. So why is Jesus the Savior of the world? Well, letter A, he's delivered us from Satan to God. Letter B, Jesus transferred us from darkness into his light. And here's letter C, Jesus restored us from death to life. From death to life. Verse 14, in whom, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Now, the Greek word for, for redemption means to release a prisoner by way of ransom. Does that make sense? We, we've been ransomed. Now, it's not that Jesus paid Satan to get us out of the darkness. He didn't. 
but he ransomed us from God and the judgment that we were under from God. Listen, God is righteous. He is perfectly righteous in all that he does and in every way that he rules. He is perfectly righteous. And because he is bound to act perfectly righteous, he must rule justly and rightly at all times. There can be no exception or he's not a perfect righteous judge. If someone were to murder, uh, I hate to say your mother, but we love her most. I know that. I'm a father. I get it. But if someone were to murder your mother and show up in court and say, hey, um, yeah, I did this thing. I, I killed her. Uh, I-, I planned it out for three months beforehand. And, and um, today I woke up, and I'm really sorry. Uh, so uh, can you let me go? Because, hey, I- I'm sorry. Uh, would that, uh, if the judge let him go, would that be right or just for that judge? Would we call that judge right or just if he let that person just go? And ah, Okay, that sounds good. How would we feel about that ruling? We would call him unjust. I don't think there's a person in here that would argue with that. That's not, that's not uh, justice. God must rule justly. Because he is righteous, for every unjust act, justice must be rendered and punishment must be carried out. Someone must pay for our sin, or he's not a a righteous judge. Ah, yeah, I'll just forget all that. Just come on in. That's not what righteous judges do. Why is Jesus the Savior of the world? Here's one reason. I think it's the most compelling Remember, I read that in the verse uh, that we read earlier, Romans 6.23, that the wages of our sin, and we've all sinned, the wages of our sin is death. That means that God is obligated to carry out a sentence of death to all who have sinned. However, because of God's great love and mercy, because of his grace, you and me, For you and me, he sent his son on the greatest rescue mission that will ever happen. And Jesus stepped in between the executioner and you and I. Let me describe this for you because, you know, so many times we say, yeah, Jesus died for my sin. That's great. And we move on. But we're not really affected by that. We forget. We take it for granted what he did. And so this is the way I like to think of it. I took a tour of Folsom Prison a long time ago, and, um, and I got to go in and see what they call the death chamber. Now, when you're sentenced to death, you are, are put in, in general pop, but when, once the uh, sentence of death comes upon you, then you're put into the, the death uh, cells that are separate from everyone else in prison, and you have your own cell because now you're going to face death. And on the day that they've set your execution, actually about a month before they set your execution, after they've set it, they put you, um, they get you ready and you're prepared for the moment in time that you're going to be executed. And on the day that, that, that they've uh, decided that that should be done, you're taken out of your cell. Now these cells, there's only, uh, there's, there was only one uh, long path like here, but there were cells on each side, maybe six or eight of them. And you walked what they call the green mile. 
the floors were this pale green, and, and you walked the green mile because it seemed like a mile when it was your turn to walk that, that, that path. I can imagine prisoners, you know, losing their breath at that moment when they're facing eternity. And I, I imagine myself being under the sentence of death. I know I've sinned. There's no question about that. And I know that God is righteous, so he has to carry out punishment, which we know is death, for sin. And I imagine myself walking that green mile and getting to the the open door at the end of the hallway and walking in, and there is a, a chair that I know is going to take my life. I imagine on either side the guard saying, Mr. Harris, it's time for you to sit in this chair. And as I am breathing hard, the side door of a room opens up and Jesus Christ walks in. (laughs) And he says, Ben, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to take this. It's on me. And he convinces the guard to let me go. And he, he sits in the chair that I deserve to sit in. It was my uh, it was my sin that, that made this happen anyway. Why should he do it? He's perfect. And yet he sat in my chair, and then he's executed on my behalf. And they turn to me and say, you can go. And I walk out of that room alive. How do I feel now about my Savior? How appreciative and loving he must have been to me, to love me with such a great love that he would do that. Don't ever take your salvation for granted. It was free to us, but it certainly wasn't free to God or his son. Anyone rejecting God's offer of mercy and grace automatically opts to sit in that chair on their own, in their own merit, where even one sin will cause you to be put to death forever. And if you end up there, that's on you. You've been warned. I don't say that flippantly. I used to share Christ with people at the police department, and they knew where I stood on all of this. It was uh, pretty um, common for different officers to say, how can you believe and love a God that sends people to a place like that? That's horrible. It is horrible, I said. But make this, you, you need to understand this. God doesn't send anyone to hell. They choose to go there by rejecting this other option. No, I will not give my life to Christ. No, I will not serve him. He is not my God. Then the only other choice is hell. God doesn't send anyone there. By the way, he prepared hell for Satan and the demons. He would much prefer that everyone come to know his salvation and his grace. However, he gives us the right to choose. And if you don't want to go to heaven, he's not going to force you there. God doesn't send people to hell. They go there of their own volition. You know, sometimes people ask me, why did you leave the police department? Why would you want to be a pastor? Well, God, uh, first of all, God told me to do this. He put it on my heart, and I left early. And I became a pastor. But why would I spend my life, the rest of my life, telling people about Jesus Christ and how to come into salvation? Why would you do that? Well, I believe 
Spurgeon explained it best when he said this, and I quote, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. End of quote. That's why I do what I do. That gets me up in the morning and it keeps me up late at night. Why do I want to love my neighbor? Why do I want to invite him to come hear the story at our church? Because I love him and I don't want him to go to that place. And it's our job to tell them about that place, but tell them that there's another way. And that way is Jesus Christ. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.